Hello and welcome to the Future World Life podcast. My name's Ollie Henderson and today's guest is one of the biggest writers on the internet. And when I say big, I mean big. He's written over 5,000 articles online, ghostwritten for 300 plus business leaders and was previously the most read writer on the social platform Quora, which has over 200 million users. Nicholas Cole, or Cole to his friends, has amassed hundreds of millions of views of his writing, written over a dozen books, and is the co-author of the Category Pirates newsletter with former podcast guest Christopher Lockhead and Eddie Yoon. As you'll hear us discuss today with his partner Dickie Bush, Cole's also the co-founder of Ship 30 for 30, a cohort-based course designed to help anyone develop a digital writing habit. Now, we had a great conversation about a variety of topics, including working out what to write in the first place and how to get over the fear of getting started, how to generate a steady flow of ideas, and then choosing which platform to publish them on, niching down and scaling using the internet, and the difference between analog and digital writing. Cole also explains the importance of structure and systems to good writing. And finally, we get on to talking about why work-life balance is a myth and what's the alternative. So if you're interested in learning more about Ship30, I've got a link in the show notes, which will give you a discount on the next cohort. You can also find a link in today's Future Work Life newsletter, so make sure you check that out. Finally, if you enjoy listening, please make sure to subscribe to hear more conversations about writing and sharing ideas with people like Justin Welsh and Stephen Kotler over the next few weeks. And you'll be able to read insights from all of the above in my book, Work Life Flywheel, which we talk about in the show and which you can pre-order now. Again, link in the show notes. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Nicholas Cole. I think there's a reason many people don't start writing, particularly online, because I think from my experience, they're scared of putting themselves out there. You know, they're, they're scared of sharing ideas. You know, what if I look stupid? What if I say the wrong thing? How do people get over that? What's the first best step to start building confidence? I think it ultimately depends on what do you want to get out of it. You know, the, the fear is rooted in uh, expectation over the result. Right. So uh, if you expect approval, you're afraid you're not going to get approval. Right. Mm. Or if you expect uh, the first thing I write should make me money and it doesn't make you any money. The fear is I'm going to invest this time and I'm not going to get any money. You know, so for me, I always like asking people from the very beginning, why do you want to write? And what I have found is the first three answers are usually not the real answers, (laughs) you know, everyone's like, Oh, I want to build my career. Okay. Yeah. Or, Oh, I want to build an audience. Okay. Why do you want to build an audience? You know? And it's not until you start kind of getting to the fourth or fifth answer that you get to the real truth of it, which is either, you know, I'm afraid I'm going to be fired and I want an insurance policy or I see other people making money online and I want to learn how to do that because I really hate my job and I'd love to be doing something that's more passionate to me. Or it can be as deep as, you know, uh, nobody ever really gave me the approval that I've been looking for. And so if I write on the internet, maybe if I get attention on the internet, that'll give me the approval that I'm looking for. You know, it's, it's a really loaded question. And I think you kind of, Hey, you have to be really honest with yourself. Like what, why are you doing what you're doing? Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great point. I actually started writing to work out what I wanted to do next with my career. I actually had no idea. I hadn't done any writing for about 20 years since I left school. And one of my mates said, 
you know what you should do? You should document this journey you're about to go on and pivot in your career. And I found it quite cathartic, actually, without any intentions. And then two years on, developed the writing habit, but then started Ship 30, which loved doing the first cohort over the past month. And I realized that while I've enjoyed the process of writing, I don't think I really got digital writing until I started oh. Ship 30, because I've actually, I suppose, been fortunate and developed a little bit of an audience, but it's by no means scientific. And actually, that's what you go into in the course. It's not just about building a writing habit. There's loads to it. But let's start with that right, building a writing habit. How did you and Dickie come up with the idea of Ship 30? What's its kind of core mission? And how do people start that first few steps on building that writing habit? Yeah, so for context, if you're listening and, and you don't know, Ship 30 for 30 is a cohort-based writing program teaching people how to start writing online. I started it with another guy named Dickie Bush. Um, as the story is actually he started it. He was the one who spotted the insight that a lot of people struggle to write anything, let alone write on the internet, primarily because they can't get through the first few painful steps by themselves. And those first few painful steps are, what am I going to write? What, mm. you know, what are, what are the ideas that I'm going to follow? Um, how do I stay consistent? You know, how, how do I get some sort of accountability or support so that I can get through that initial friction? Um, and everything from, you know, not even just having a lack of understanding around the fundamentals. How do I write a headline? How do I format my writing? How do I mm. write something that's small, but worthwhile and has some element of value, which we call an atomic essay? It's, you know, about 250 words or less. And Dickie started it. I saw what he was building and building a daily writing habit fundamentally changed my life. In 2014, I started writing on the internet. I discovered a website called Quora, which is a question and answer social platform. Back in 2014, it was really impressive a lot of very unique thinkers and writers were there and they were treating questions on Quora like creative writing prompts. You know, so if someone asked a question, what's it like to be an entrepreneur? The answer wasn't, here's a formal definition of entrepreneurship. The answer was the beginning of a story. You know, I sold yeah. my first company when I was 22 years old. Yeah. Right. And so the more I wrote on Quora and I challenged myself to write every single day on Quora, the more that I learned, okay, the whole key to success here, especially writing in the digital world, is consistency. And so when I noticed what Dickie was building, I said, hey, you know, I think I can help you pour gasoline on this. We teamed up and now we've been building it for a year and a half. And we've had what, I mean, 4,000 plus writers go through it so far. I mean, it's been it's been a, a journey. <laughs> yeah, and you've also had uh, various guests on for masterclasses. I was digging into a couple earlier on, actually. I mean, how do you see the course developing? Because I've just joined the captain's table, which is the kind of follow-on mm -hmm. from the initial cohort. And that's that's a sort of subscription membership model, isn't it? To sort of get access to additional resources, but also develop that sense of community. I'm interested how you see, if you do, what the future looks like for Ship 30. Do you tend to take one step at a time or have you got a big vision for how you want it to look in five years' time? Well, big visions happen one step at a time. So <laughs> uh, Ship 30 is really the, you know, we have lots of different types of writers come through Ship 30. It's everyone from 
I want to be a writer. I'm an aspiring writer, or I've been writing for a long time, and I'm I'm looking to invest in learning the digital language. You know, there's mm-hmm. a huge difference between writing in an analog world versus a digital world. We also have educators come through. You know, teachers, entrepreneurs, marketers, um, even really high achieving people in Fortune 500 companies. You know, that understand the value of writing on the internet. And so Ship 30 is a little bit of a catch-all, lots of different personas, but all geared toward one specific problem, which is how do I start writing on the internet and how do I stay Mm. consistent? How do I build that daily writing habit? The captain's table that you you mentioned is the membership, quote unquote, follow-on, which is really designed around one core product that we call zero to one, which is how you make your first dollar on the internet. That's ultimately, you know, 90% of the people that go through Ship30, they end up with that question. They go, writing on the internet's great. You've taught me all these frameworks. I have all these templates, all these new skills. That's amazing. Now, how does this thing actually make me money? Some people, they don't need an answer to that question. You just go, I want to keep writing, but the majority of people do. So the captain's table is all geared around going from, you started writing, now let's help you make your first dollar by building your first digital product. The next thing that we're working on is called write the course, which is then you take that digital product and you expand it into some sort of course, because that's ultimately where most people, A, want to go and B, it's a very effective way of monetizing your knowledge and expertise. And so if you think of that as a track, you know, that's for a very specific type of writer. Hmm. That's not the person who goes, I want to write the next great American novel. That's also not the person that goes, you know, I want, I want to go and be a freelance writer. You know, those are different tracks. And so we want to ultimately build those out, but this one is clearly the highest priority. And the more we build it, the more that we kind of keep getting validation from people in Ship 30 that, hey, that's that next step that I want to be able to take. So we're really just building what people are asking us for. Yeah. So you mentioned there you started writing on the internet in 2014. Now you obviously write to make money now. That's your career. It's your job. But do you do it for fun? Are there certain types of writing that you would just do purely for enjoyment, you know, just sort of removing yourself from the day job, you know, whether it's journaling or sort of creative writing? How do you think about that? Or is it to feel like a busman's holiday when you sat down trying to just write something which isn't to do with work? No, I mean, the honest answer is, I don't think this is true for everyone, but all of the writing I do is fun. Mm. You know, even even when I'm writing landing pages for Ship 30 or I'm cranking out sales emails or things like that, I I see it all as the same craft, you know? and And so for me... It's. I used to be really into uh, going to the gym and bodybuilding and weightlifting. And the way that I would describe it to people is I loved being in pain. Like I loved going to the gym and feeling that feeling like I, I just squatted so much that I can't walk. <laughs> and I was in love with that feeling. And I, I feel the same way, if not 10 times more about writing. I love trying to master something that's new related to that craft. But to answer, yeah, answer your question more directly. I mean, I've been journaling every day for a decade. I keep a journal that I at least put a couple pages in almost every day. Uh, Occasionally I'll miss, but almost every day. Hmm. And uh, 
I also do a ton of other random stuff. Like last year I published like three or four books on poetry, you know, and just things that I had been keeping in my journals. And I was like, you know what? These would be cool projects. I'm going to love them together and put that out there. My first book was a memoir. It was about my years playing World of Warcraft professionally as a teenager, you know? So I'm, I'm all, to me, it's not a domain specific thing. I like going through yeah. a bunch of different domains, but for right now, this window yeah, there's clearly a huge need for people who want to learn how to start writing on the internet. And I don't mm. think that there's a lot of great resources out there. And I also feel like the resources that are out there, you know, no, uh, no ill intention here, but the resource that resources that are out there are created by people that haven't actually done the thing that they're trying to articulate. Mm. So I I'll read the things that they're suggesting. And I'm like, that sounds great in theory, but I've written 5,000 articles on the internet and I know that that isn't everything. That's not the full story. Yeah. So it's almost like I feel this, I feel like I'm in this chapter where I'm very focused on sharing all these things that I've learned and empowering other writers and giving other people the tools that they need so that they can go be successful. And, and do you think, it's, just to follow on from what you were saying about publishing other bits and pieces now that clearly you're a skilled writer so I guess you can turn your hand to many subjects that to which you have relatively deep knowledge and at least articulate and tell a story around it but do you think generally we have to have a certain amount of knowledge because there's something interesting that you and Dickie talk about which is actually in many cases when you're writing or if you're creating a product online sometimes it's better to be writing for somebody who's maybe a year or two behind you in your journey. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. you can relate to them and they can relate to you better. Where do we draw the line and what's the right balance to find with that? Well, again, it goes back to the question of what are your expectations and what do you want? Because I think most people start out writing, wanting something very specific and then, but they don't know which decisions to make to unlock that specific outcome. And so what a lot of people do is they, they go, all right, I want to be a writer. And then they go and try and tackle a topic that they really don't know that much about. And the problem with that is you don't have the fundamental skills yet to know how to tackle a subject that you don't know about. Hmm. For someone like me, I've been ghostwriting for, I don't know, five, six, seven years now. You could, you could give me three bullet points on a subject that I know absolutely nothing about. And I could go turn that into a 300 page book because I understand, I have the proficiency of, I understand what are the puzzle pieces and what do I need to go find to assemble that? Right. Right. Yeah. So that, that in itself is a, is a skill. Yeah. Most people, if you don't have that proficiency, the thing that you're trying to do is you're going, okay, I have a specific goal that I want with my writing. How do I get there? Well, the easiest place to start is with knowledge that you already have, mm. right? Because now you're not trying to gain the writing proficiency and the knowledge proficiency. You already have the knowledge proficiency. So now we can just focus on the writing. Yeah. And that's, that's why one of the big things that we articulate in Ship 30 is write for the version of yourself that existed a year ago, two years ago, 
you have there's something valuable there. Now you just need to learn, well, how do I frame it in the headline? How do I organize it in the main points? But you've already done the hard work. It's way harder for someone to go, I don't know how to write or assemble anything. And I'm going to go pick a topic that I know nothing about. Yeah. And how do you think about the idea of storytelling and, and writing in business in general? There's a trend towards the importance of creativity, human creativity in the face of increasing automation, all of those sort of uniquely human skills become ever more important, I think. And writing is one aspect of that. So I think that's really, I think people recognize that. But I think the other thing I've seen over the past couple of years, and this really relates to asynchronous work, people working at different times, suddenly writing is the main medium. So that skill for being able to articulate and communicate really clearly it is probably top of most recruiters list that I speak to. So I'm just thinking from a sort of future of work point of view, those skills that obviously you've acquired over the years and now you're helping other people hone, they've got to be more important, right? Yeah. So there's different, there's different elements of what you just said. So one is the, the storytelling component. Stories will always be important. Yes. Um, again, the question is, why are you telling the story? Like everyone says, I want to tell my story. Okay, but is the value of the story to the reader the fact that you're telling the story to emphasize a takeaway? Or is the way you're telling the story the entertainment value in itself? Mm. Or is the story the case study or example to prove what you're trying to articulate? There's lots of different ways to use a story in the context of what you're writing. So that is a skill. And again, I notice when you're a beginner, you don't really know yet. And so you just say, I want to tell a story, right? And so you kind of got to work through the, okay, well, but what's it for? You know, then on the other side, there's a, there's the actionable component, which is you talk about remote work. Okay. If your life exists in Slack, then the way you communicate in Slack via the written word drastically changes everyone's ability around you to understand what you're trying to articulate. So the the in the weeds stuff is going, here's what I'm trying to say. Now, how do I say it with brevity? How do I assemble it into bullet points? How do I summarize the conclusion? You know, these are all very, these are like individual tools in your toolkit as a writer. And so we're circling around it, but all of these are just different different parts of becoming a proficient writer. And again, the whole kind of purpose of Ship 30 is someone starts, they don't know any of this. You don't know what you Mm -hmm. don't know, right? So you start Ship 30 by going, the only thing I know is that writing on the internet is good. And then as you begin to write, you start to learn all the things that you didn't know. And then as you learn the things you didn't know, you make decisions around, okay, well, what type of writer do I want to be? And what types of stories do I want to tell? What skills yeah. do I need? Yeah, I'll share something from my, my own experience of it. I'm wrestling with it a little bit at the moment because in 30 days, my writing's tightened up, by which I mean I'm much, far better at making it clearer at the, at the beginning what my intention is and what the reader's going to get out of the story and then being brief and concise around how, how I articulate the points and then rounding it up. I've improved my structure, but what I've lost a little is some of the natural flow that I would normally write with because I'm benefiting from fitting it in within the templates. Actually, I feel almost like I've lost a little bit of the character within the writing. 
I feel like I've made progress in some areas and then regress slightly in others. Is that a common mm-hmm. experience? Yeah, I think it is. And I, I mean, <laughs> it's a, it's a really funny challenge when, when people say I want an immediate result, but I also don't want you to impose any rules or anything on me. Yeah. You know, so, okay. That's a pretty impossible ask, right? <laughs> Cause if, if you want the immediate result, I'll give you the template. Hmm. And if you don't want the immediate result and you want to go on the journey, then I'll encourage your experimentation all day long, but then you have to let go of the immediate result. Hmm. And so I hear that often from people that go through ship 30 where, you know, for the first two weeks and we're introducing all these frameworks and everything, and people will say, this feels so formulaic. Well, it feels formulaic because that's the only way to get you from zero to proficient in the shortest, fastest amount of time possible. And if you make that time investment, you have the skills to then go experiment consciously. But if you don't have that, then yeah, everyone just wants, like every writer just wants to sit down and be given a blank page and go, every word you put on here is magic. <laughs> just have fun. Just just let your creativity fly. The problem with that is it doesn't actually move you forward. You don't learn anything. You don't, you don't understand how to assemble a piece of writing. So it's kind of like asking someone, you go, you want to take piano lessons. You know, do you want to invest two weeks to learn some scales and chords? It's going to be taxing, but once you learn them, you can compose anything you want. Mm -hmm. Or do you want to just sit in front of the piano and bang any key in front of you? And every key you hit, I'm just going to tell you, great job. You know, everyone says they want the first one, but their actions are, they really want the second one. And so it's this weird, you have to marry the two together. And that's what, that's the challenge that we try and solve for in ship 30 is like, how do we give you the structure and also give you the freedom to experiment at the same time? Hmm. And you are on the course at at this stage, at least teaching the ability to write the atomic essays, which as you said is 250 words, roughly or less. And there's Twitter threads, which come in later. And, you know, I'm going to be experimenting on LinkedIn a little bit more during the next cohort as part of the captain's table but you know your own writing you are writing everything from a twitter thread through to category the category pirates newsletter to mm-hmm. do with a former guest two-time guest christopher lockhead uh, and uh, eddie and um, yep. they can be thousands and thousands of words long so you're writing these two different styles do you apply same, the same sorts of lessons that you would teach the novices in ship 30 those basic principles do they still hold true to those longer form newsletters the essays the articles or do you deviate because it's just you've got more of a canvas on which to experiment how does it work there i'm that's that's the thing that i try and share with people is they are almost identical right you know so category pirates again for context is a, it's a paid newsletter uh, where we write about category creation, category design, and business strategy. It's very smart stuff. Like this is, mm. you know, not not your average casual BuzzFeed read. And what I try and communicate to people is the same way that I sit down and assemble 10,000 word newsletters, or, or we call them mini books. It's the same principles in an atomic essay. 
And if you can learn the atomic essay format, and if you can learn the fundamentals, all a 10,000 word mini book or a 60,000 word book is, is just a ton of atomic essays stacked on top of each other. Mm. That's it. And, and so if I honestly, if we communicate nothing else, that I hope is the takeaway is like when you sit down to write, and this took me 10 years to learn. That's why I'm so passionate about sharing it is when you sit down to write a book, you're not writing a book. What you're writing is, you know, 15,000 paragraphs stacked on top of each other. It's a Jenga set. It's Legos. Mm. Yeah. And the, the fallacy that we're told, and I have a degree in fiction writing. I went to school for creative writing. And I look back and I kind of disagree with how a lot of my teachers taught this to me, which is when you sit down to write, it's not you start with the first word and you do this magical dance over the course of 100,000 words and it just happens. It doesn't just happen. Writing is as much art as it is science. And you have to assemble it. And in order to mm. assemble it, you have to understand what the pieces are. And that's that's the thing that I try and communicate over and over again is you have to learn what the pieces are. What's been interesting for me, I'm right as you know, writing a book at the moment, and I'd written I've, I've read a lot of it before I started Ship Thirty. Although I hadn't gone through, I'm still going through the editing process, you know, and tightening it up. And, that's, and I've complete and I have completely changed the way I've written it in the part since I started Ship Thirty. And actually, you can see, and perhaps in a minute you can explain what this framework is but you can see one three one happening throughout the recent Everywhere. chapters that I've written. and Cole you explain what that is in a minute but all I will I will preempt it with something which is like a revelation when you explained it on one of the sessions we did which is really just about the flow of a few paragraphs and and then by extension a chapter in a book which is you want to feel like you're in constant movement and the best books move you along don't they they constantly move you along you don't feel like you're jarring and stopping or getting clogged up and when you explained this framework i suddenly it clicked and actually it has really changed the way that i'm thinking about putting together different chapters to just try to create that sense of movement and make sure that people feel like they're making progress do you mind starting with that because it'd be really useful to dig into a few of these frameworks just as an example to listeners in a sec but explain what the 131 idea is yeah 131 is just a writing rhythm where you open with one clear declarative sentence and then your next paragraph is three sentences that usually are explaining the first sentence and then after that middle paragraph, then you end with a single closing sentence. And you could use that model of 131 all the way down the page and the reader would have no idea. They would just go, wow, this writing just feels like it flows because it's going 131, 131, 131. It has this cadence to it. And if you wanted to expand, you would expand the middle. So you would go 141 or you would go 151 or you'd go 171. And the only the big idea here is that when you open and close with single sentences, it makes the reader feel like there's doors, there's milestones. You know, so I read one sentence, I'm signing up for this next paragraph, I know what I'm getting, I go through and read the paragraph, and then you give me one more sentence as like, and here's your treat for doing it. Here's your one little conclusion. We wrapped up this point. Let's move on to the next thing. And for context, how I came up with this is I uh, 
I played classical piano for 20 years growing up. I was playing Mozart and Beethoven and, you know, all the greats by the time I was six. And if you listen to Mozart or Beethoven or really great classical pianists, what they do is they alternate between short cadences and long cadences. And as time went on, you know, and as you start moving through uh, the composers and things start to get more and more modern and you go listen to someone like a Chopin, the reason it becomes more complicated is because the short segments, the short patterns start to evaporate. So the more complicated or or more modern, quote unquote, composers basically said, I'm not going to give you the treat anymore. I'm just going to do these long cadences back back to back over and over again. And as a listener, that's what makes it very difficult to follow. Whereas listening to Mozart, it's really simple, you know, and you love it and you don't know why you love it. But the reason you love it is because you get a short, a short cadence and then a long cadence and a short cadence and then a long cadence. And so the same thing's true with writing. If you open a book and you see on the first page, there's three giant paragraphs and it's all long sentences you've decided you don't want to read it before you've even started reading it, right? Because that feels, it's like it looks like a mental strain. But if you open a book and the first sentence is five words, you're by the time you decide whether or not you want to read that first sentence, you're already reading the second paragraph. You flew through it. And so there's this very weird psychological thing that's going on for readers where if you can give them these little checkpoints with these single sentences, the likelihood that they stay engaged goes up dramatically because you're giving their brain a quick break between the next complicated cadence. Mm. Yeah, that is one of, of course, many of the frameworks which you share, which really break down in a really simple to understand, but effective to execute way. I'm interested in talking about just a couple more, if you don't mind. So Another problem people have often, I think, is they like, I don't really have any good ideas. Or if I do, once I've used them a couple of times, then what am I going to talk about? So there is, there's two ways of looking at it, I think. One is that actually, in some ways, it's trying to identify, once we've identified the best ideas and the things which resonate with people, it's trying to put a new spin on them. I think that's one thing that we've discussed on the call so far. But the other brilliant one is the endless idea generator. So can you just talk, talk people through if you can because it's probably quite it's quite a visual thing as well maybe i can share a, an image yeah. um a screenshot with everybody via on the show notes but maybe you could explain how it works because i think once people get into this and actually use the endless idea generator they suddenly realize they've got far more to say than they think they do and again i'd say apart from fear the thing around ideas is often the thing that holds people back in my experience about why they say they don't want to not even just write in public, but just talk in public. Yeah. So the endless idea generator is basically a framework that we created to help people move from, I know what I want to write about to, okay, but what specifically? Like one of the things that I notice is people go, I want to write about money. Okay. Well, what does that mean? You know, do you want to write about saving money? Do you want to write about investing money? Do you want to write about stealing money? Those are three very different topics. 
right? If you're explaining to someone how to steal money versus how to save money, your content's going to be dramatically different. So you have to you have to really take a second and go through a couple iterations. So let's keep going. So that's V1. Do you want to save? Do you want to invest? Or do you want to steal? I like using uh, <laughs> brash examples to drive home the point, right? Okay, save, invest, or steal. All right, now what specifically is this how to save money? How much money? How to save your first $1,000? How to save a million dollars? That's going to be very different, right? Investing, are you investing as a kid or are you investing, are these investment tips for someone who's 65 and ready to retire but has no retirement? Very different content, right? Or is it, or are you explaining why investing is so hard? That's not a how-to piece. You're explaining why something is difficult. So the endless idea generator is really, it's a series of questions that you have to ask yourself in order to get clarity around, well, but what are you actually saying? And most people who sit down to write, the reason there's such a thing called writer's block, writer's block isn't like a psychological disease, contrary to popular belief. You know, writer's block is just a lack of specificity. You don't know what you're trying to say. And so as a result, the blank page is very daunting for you. So instead of staring at a blank page, go through this exercise and go, okay, V1, I'm saving money. V2, saving money for teenagers. V3, saving my first thousand dollars as a teenager. Right. And as you add more and more specificity, all of a sudden you gain so much more clarity around, oh, this is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And and with each of those, and this relates to a really important point, which we're going to dig into more on the captain's table, I know, but certainly it's a it's a key part of the ship 30 course. And and I often talk about the importance of establishing your niche in a business. So, you know, a lot of the businesses I work with they'll be targeting too broad an audience and, you know, trying to find exactly who the person is that you're trying to solve, whose problem you're trying to solve is just really key. And of course that translates to digital writing as well. But I think your recommendations are often to go so niche, you feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you could explain why that is and why it's possible to do that with your digital writing while also still holding out any hope at all of building an audience because i think people's natural inclination is to think i've gone far too narrow here who's even going to want to read this stuff i'll tell you i've completely over rotated here i a year and a half ago if you had told me that we would be building a raging on fire course teaching people how to write online my first response would have been that seems too small I make this mistake too. We all make this mistake. We have a flawed understanding of how many people there are in the world with a specific problem and how easily the internet can connect the right people to the right problems and the right solutions. And so I'll give you a perfect example. Most people would say, I want to, I'm going to write or I'm going to create a course on how to write better just writing better generally, right? And there's a lot of people in the world that would think that's too small, right? Oh, writing is just a small niche compared to 
weight loss, right? And so already the thinking is kind of screwed from the very beginning. Hmm. And then it's not until you get inside that category that you start to realize that you actually need to be way more specific. So the first big decision I made, I, I wrote a book called The Art and Business of Online Writing. For six months, I debated making the title of that book, The Art and Business of Writing. Because writing is broad and I, hmm. and I want, quote unquote, as many people as possible. And I ultimately decided to niche down and call it digital writing because I was like, look, everything that's in this book is about the internet. Like this isn't, I'm not telling you to go in a log cabin and grab your chapeau and load up your corncob pipe and get to work on the next great American novel. I'm explaining to you how algorithms work, right? And so if you're going to be something, just be it, just, just own that category. And so as a result, I just cut the market in half, right? You go writing, I cut away 50% digital writing. All right, niche down. Then I keep going and I realize digital writing is really broad because digital writing encompasses 10 different platforms. And am I talking about self-publishing books on Amazon? Or am I talking about writing Twitter threads? Or am I talking about writing articles on Medium? Or am I talking about building a newsletter? right? Each one of those, you could go down the rabbit hole. And so ultimately then Ship30 comes along and we go, okay, we're going to pick one platform, it's Twitter. And we're going to pick one problem, which is not all the things that have to do with digital writing. It's how do I start writing? That one word defines the entire niche. Hmm. The niche is not digital writing broadly. The niche is start digital writing. And when you understand that problem and you understand who's then taking ship 30, a beginner has very different problems than someone who's been writing online for 10 years, right? So you can't cater it to both of those people. You have to pick. Am I speaking to beginners or am I speaking to experts? We go, Mm -hmm. all right, those people, we'll get there later. We're going to speak only to experts. And now I've been at this for a year And the more that we build, the more I feel like I'm going to have to spend the next five years only speaking to beginners because there's so much here. But no one ever thinks that, right? And no one ever thinks, oh, this tiny niche with this tiny problem is the thing that I'm going to spend all my time on. And that's that I think is the biggest fallacy of how this whole creator economy works is everyone thinks they need a million followers and all the attention in the world. You don't. We started ship ship 30 was started when Dickie and I both combined had less than 5,000 Twitter followers combined. Now yeah. we both have combined. Yeah. What? 300,000. Yeah. And I bet a year from now combined, we'll probably have over half a million. Yeah. You know, niches are way bigger than people think. Hmm. On that point about platforms, you mentioned a few platforms there, and yeah, the the first part of Ship Thirty, we've we've focused on Twitter. So I'm where I've never up until a month ago, I'd never, I don't think I'd ever posted a tweet, I'd never tweeted at all. I've had an account since 2009. I used it to aggregate news. I'm a bit of a lurker, you know. I read I read <laughs> stuff. I've got various followers that uh, people I'm following, but it's the first time I've written on there. Whereas on LinkedIn, you know, I've not been consistent in any way, but I've, you know, I've got a couple of thousand followers 
uh, you know, write a little bit and it, you know, it helps, it's helped build up my newsletter, um, audience. Um, and that's basically been its sole purpose. So now I'm thinking, right, what do I do? Do I keep going on Twitter? You know, I'm just learning how to use this platform, start building up there, learn some new skills. But I also want to be writing on LinkedIn, which is, I think probably where I feel like naturally is home to a lot of the people whose problem that I'm solving in, in my work life. So what's the advice there? I mean, do do you spread yourself too thin immediately by trying to write across multiple platforms? Or again, is the advantage of the digital writing that you should be able to apply the same lessons in different places? Um, you can certainly apply them in different places, but my rule of thumb is, especially for that first year, first year or two, I think it's way better to focus exclusively on one platform. Mm. If you see, if you already have momentum on LinkedIn, just keep writing on LinkedIn. You know, I the I think a more fixed rule though is I would not go above two platforms. I think it's yeah. a total mistake in the first few years of writing online to go above two. You there's no need. You know, LinkedIn's got what is it, three hundred six hundred million users. You know, Twitter's got three hundred plus million users. Like you have more than enough people to tap into any one of those ecosystems. And you can use TypeShare, our software product, to just auto-post to both. You know, So it's not any real extra work, but yeah. Yeah, I'm going to ask you a couple of quick questions, if you don't mind, about your, your work life, right? So you have got a job, which means that you can be anywhere. I know you were in Hawaii a few weeks ago when you did the call. I was mm-hmm. looking on jealously when I st- stood in a rain in a rainy, <laughs> rainy street in London. Um, but do you, how do you think about that sort of separation between your work and your personal life? Are they, are they, do you try to consciously divide the two or are they complementary in the way that they fit together? Yeah, I, tend to think that work so okay i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna share my opinion but my opinion has an asterisk next to it which is i've never had a a real job really (laughs) i i had one job out of college i worked at an advertising agency and the reason i say i don't call it a real job is because i became very close with my boss and who was the creative director at that agency and he was very much a mentor figure. And I spent four years there. I feel like just basically getting to apprentice him, you know? And so it didn't feel like I was showing up to some big company. It was a small, small company, like 10 people. And I just showed up to work every day. And he basically taught me how to be an entrepreneur. And after that, I was like, I'm never going to work for anybody ever again. So I think that there may be differences for people who work at a large company and um, you have to separate a little bit differently. My perspective is I think work-life balance is a total myth. I, I don't think that you separate the two at all. I think that the goal is ultimately for work to be something that you're so passionate about that it doesn't feel like work. Like I wake up every day and just basically do the thing that I already wanted to do, which is I just want to build things and learn and share that mm. with other people and write And, you know, and, and I, and I think when, when people talk about it that way, it seems like what, what the, what the person on the other side hears is that I wake up and I just go lay on the beach all day. And that's not true at all. I work like 12 hours a day, but I work 
on things that I'm intrinsically interested in, you know, and I, and I put in a lot of years of hard work and acquiring skills to have the freedom to do the thing that was going to then pay for my life, Mm. you know, but so as a result, I don't think that there's this work-life balance. Like, yeah, at some point I got to shut my computer off and I want to go spend time with my fiance and my dog. And I want to, you know, I want to travel or want to live my life, but I don't know. I'm always going to be right. Like I, I couldn't stop writing if I tried. Right. Mm. So it's always going to be there. I feel like you just read the back cover of my uh, book, actually, because I describe work-life balance as a Great. myth as well. I've, I've the title of my book is "Work-Life Flywheel" because I've sort of mm. having worked around tech businesses for years, and I see this flywheel That's a great title. where you know you've got these individual pieces, but none of them are any more important than the other, and actually, it's the way they connect that yes. creates the value and. If you can get that right combination, that's when you get growth and you get progress. And these are all the things, actually, when you look at happiness in the workplace, it's often things like progress, making progress in what you're doing that's really important. Um, So, yeah, so look, I think you've just validated my book idea, which is a compliment which you didn't even mean to give me. So thanks, Carl. I think I think that's a terrific title and a terrific framing of it. Your, Mm. Your goal is not like... This was a, I think this was a big mistake for me in my early twenties is I thought it was, you go to work and then you're not working Mm. and you work and then you're not working. And, and I saw them as very separate worlds and the, the idea of a work-life flywheel, I think is great because that is ultimately what it is, is you want the work to feed the not working that feeds the working that feeds the not working. And that's why like the rate at which I'm getting better now at my craft is so exponential because I'm able to just live and work and live and work and live and work it all day long. Yeah. Right. And that's the goal. Like (laughs) the goal is to be in that flywheel space where everything's just humming you know and so for someone that wants to get there the work that you're trying to do is to acquire the skills and gain the optionality in your life to have that flywheel running it's not that you go lay on a beach somewhere yeah yeah which and it's not to say and this is the thing i i, I completely agree with what you said there people think that all i'm saying all you've got to do is work all day and that is not right. what i'm talking about at all and actually one component of this flywheel framework i've got is around rest and reflection if you don't take that time to step back and reflect on i'm sure when you write an article you you, you don't just sit down at a computer and it all comes to you you've done research and you've you're formulating these ideas and then often very often you step away and that's when those connections happen and then when you return to start mm-hmm. writing then it all comes together so uh, well actually on that point what do you do for rest and reflection i mean do you plan actively moments into your calendar to allow yourself time for recovery or just to sit back and reflect and rest i'll be honest that that is probably the piece that i'm forever working on that's Mm. the hardest for me i i am an output machine you know and i and i love it um but sometimes it's to a fault yeah and but the two things like i don't i don't think of it as much as um, 
like I work for three days and then I take a day off. You know, that's that's not really me. Instead, I look for what are little ways that I can reflect and take care of myself every mm-hmm. day so that I can maintain a very high level of output because my whole yeah. life is based on my output. And so the two things that I think I do are, A, I journal every morning. I take 30 minutes and kind of just mentally set myself up for the day, you know? And then at night, I'm in bed by like 9 p.m. Like I go to bed pretty early. I get a full eight hours. Like I, I've learned over the years that there's nothing to gain from me spending another three hours at night working and getting six hours of sleep. Like there's, it just, it, you always lead to burnout every, every time. So -hmm. those two things are very, they're pillars for me. And if I can keep those, I mean, I can maintain a very high level of output for a very long time. Yeah. Well, uh, it's been great to chat. And um, as I said earlier on, I'm going to put links um, in the show notes to obviously to the course, Ship 30. I'll put the endless idea generator screen grab in there. But before we wrap up, is there anything else you want to share with the audience? No, you asked some good questions. I mean, I think for anyone who wants to start writing online, obviously Ship 30 is a great resource. But the biggest thing that I would encourage people to do is to challenge themselves. You know, Ship 30, we call it a writing challenge. It's your challenge to write and publish every day for 30 days. But how I started writing on the internet is I challenged myself to write a Quora answer every day for a year. Mm. And I did that and my entire life changed. Like I can credit everything that I'm doing now, eight years later, to me challenging myself to do that. And you'd be amazed at what writing and publishing consistently on the internet can do. Brilliant. Nice one, Cole. Cheers. Thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. And that was my conversation with Cole. As you will have heard, I will put a link to the Endless Idea Generator in the show notes, as well as a link to the Ship30 website and links to Cole's Twitter and LinkedIn feeds. So thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, would love it if you could leave a rating. Really helps new listeners discover it. And also make sure you subscribe. We've got another great guest for you next week. So until then, have a good one.